So we'll, we'll take a, a little bit of a hard shift, but we're going to jump in this morning to the message. Um, we are rounding the corner to the end of the book of Acts. We have been studying Acts for over 15 months now. And uh, I would like you guys to give yourselves a round of applause for that. Um, that is a long time to be studying one book. Um, from my perspective, is a long time to be preaching out of one book. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it seems like we're giving a lot of very, very similar messages, especially as we have gotten towards the end of Acts, that uh, a lot of what's happening is more historical in nature. There's less theology, um, uh, like blatant theology in the book. It's more uh, the events that are surrounding Paul. Um, and so uh, we are kind of grinding to an end here, but this one was uh, an interesting talk for me to prepare, and I actually kind of found myself a little bit encouraged in, um, in dealing with some new stuff, which was good. So our section will be chapter 27 today. Next week, uh, Russ will pre- uh, preach on chapter 28, and then the following week, the plan is to have an extended time of sharing uh, with the potentiality of us asking a few of you uh, to speak on how the book of Acts has impacted you over the last 15 months. So we have really invested a lot into this book. We've invested a lot of our time and study. And so um, we would call this like the community response. So we've all been on this journey together. And as opposed to Russ or I or both of us just standing up here and telling you what we've learned Uh, We felt like it would be incredibly powerful and interesting to hear what you guys have felt like you have learned. How have you been transformed? How have you been renewed? How have you been challenged by uh, the last 15 months of studying the book of Acts? So that will be August 31st. Uh, Again, next weekend is the end of summer barbecue. Then that following weekend, we'll have a community response. So if you want to, you can turn to chapter 27 uh, in the book of Acts. And as he has been for the last uh, five, six, seven chapters, Paul is on the move again. And this section of scripture really details the events of Paul's voyage by sea to Rome. It's 44 verses, uh, and the chapter contains uh, really a great deal of information about the route that was taken. So this is the route that was taken. I'm sorry, that's a little bit blurry, but you can see this is the route that was taken. Those little squiggly lines, I'll tell you what those are uh, when we get to that in in the part of the story, but this is essentially the route by sea that Paul takes to get to Rome. So the story details that in the 44 verses, but it has a ton of details. It has a lot of details about uh, different places that were visited or had to be stopped at, different players, like key individuals that are in the story, but then also has a lot of different uh, like nautical and sailing terms, which I had to look up because... I have never sailed before, and so there were things that were kind of happening in there, and I had to go back and say, what does that even mean? So can we get that list of uh, stuff up there, Matt? So these were all kind of the places, people, and sailing terms that are in these 44 verses that were uh, very detail-oriented and have to do with a story. Take a minute and look at those, and then kind of forget them because we're actually not going to talk about any of those. I just wanted to show you. I just wanted to show you that there's a lot of details in this chapter. And sometimes, uh, and you may have found this in the book of Acts, but you can get lost in the details. You can kind of get lost in figuring out where are all these places and who are these people and why is this name used this way and then it was used differently later on in the chapter and what do all these things mean and really what you need to know about this morning's chapter, about chapter 27, about this journey to Rome, this voyage to Rome for Paul, what you really need to know is that it was an absolute circus. 
the the voyage there it was it was uh, it was a, a filled with trial and tribulation and all these details kind of add different layers to it but really you just need to know that getting there uh, was very very challenging there were about 275 people on the boat that's sailors prisoners Paul all of them are headed for Rome the voyage is in constant peril because of storms and weather and in many different cases they have to change the route that they're going by or they actually have to sail uh, like in certain ways around different islands to be uh, protected from weather, from the prevailing winds that were happening. It's called uh, being under the lee. That was a term that I found out, meaning to sail under protection of an island or a landmass. And ultimately, the boat is completely shipwrecked. And passengers end up swimming to a nearby island, the island of Malta. And if they're not swimming, then they find loose pieces of boat wreckage and they just kind of float in to this island. And so this chapter is about this voyage, how it starts, all the peril that uh, happens. That's those squiggly lines right there that we saw on the map. That's where that big storm happens. And ultimately, there's a total and complete shipwreck, and people are swimming to this nearby island of Malta. Now, what's interesting about it is throughout the story, Paul is characterized as a faithful and steadfast servant of the Lord. See it first when he delivers a prophetic message to the centurion. The centurion is kind of the person, uh, the guard who is in charge of him. Uh, he delivers this prophetic message saying, hey, I don't think that we should leave right now. I don't think that we should continue this voyage because we're in the wrong season to sail right now. This ship is going to go under if we leave right now. But the centurion's really focused. The scripture says that he listened more to the pilot or the captain of the boat. He listened much more to the captain of the boat than he did to Paul. So even though Paul has this prophetic uh, message for him saying, hey, let's not go because we're going to lose everything if we go, he says, nope, we're going. We have to get to Rome, and we're going right now. Uh, later, we see it as the storms have worsened, and uh, the, the ship, uh, the people on the ship, the prisoners, uh, the crew have been without food for days. The scripture says that the ship has not seen the stars or moon in days, meaning that the cloud cover the storm is so horrendous that they can't even see to the sky. And the, the crew begins to panic. They're starting to throw stuff, cargo, overboard. And Paul admonishes them. And he says this in verse 21. And this is really the section that I want to focus on this morning. Verse 21, he says, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. In the midst of this terrible storm at sea, when everyone on the boat is filled with fear and panic, when they're filled with worry, when it seems like the end is near, Paul admonishes them to take courage. Take courage, men, for I have faith in God. 
This morning, I want to focus on that one aspect, that aspect of courage and what courage is. And so in nature, the talk's going to be a little bit more topical, uh, but I believe it's a topic, and this is part of what was exciting about this week as, as I kind of wrestled with this idea. I believe it's a topic that as a community, as individuals, we need to wrestle with. The idea of courage and what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus and live a courageous life. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump in this morning. God, be with us today. Be with us this morning as we open your word, as we read, as we study. God, may our uh, hearts and minds be ready for what you would have for us. God, allow us to hear from you. May your spirit move in this place, and may your spirit convict May it convict all of us in the ways that would move us towards you. Be with us. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, courage is an interesting characteristic. And here's why I think it's interesting. It's interesting because I believe we all have the capacity for it. And yet, I think many of us think this characteristic, the characteristic of courage, is reserved for people like heroes, people who are other than most of us, ordinary people. We all have the capacity to be courageous, and yet oftentimes we kind of pass it off as, well, heroes are the ones who have courage. Heroes are the ones who are courageous. Think about it this way. We think... uh, People like military personnel are heroes, valiantly fighting for our country, or firefighters who run into burning buildings and save children, or police officers who work to keep our neighborhoods safe, or rescue workers who dive into icy waters to pull that person out of the car that went in off the bridge, or mountain climbers who wait out a storm or who climb this incredible pitch. Those are the people who are courageous. Those are the people who live with courage. Most of the movies that we watch, those lifetime specials that we can't not watch sometimes, highlight courage, and they highlight courage surrounding these types of people, people who are often in life and death situations. We look at some of the things that these types of people do and consider their actions to be courageous, but when we do that, I believe courage subtly becomes something reserved only for those types of people. Courage is something really that only people that are in life and death situations have. But I truly believe that it's a characteristic that we are all supposed to live with. It's a characteristic that God desires from all of us. It's not just one for those who go to work in uniforms, but it's for all of God's people. We can see this throughout Scripture, that God instructs us to live with courage. If you want to, you can turn to Joshua, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Moses has passed, and now the Lord is speaking to Joshua to cross the Jordan, to take the land that God is going to give to his people, the Israelites. And this is is what the Lord says. Just as I was with Moses, this is uh, chapter 1, 5 through 9. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law all that Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. He goes on, and then later, closer to to chapter or to verse 9, he says, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. I mean, it's not hard to hear the words that are repeated in that scripture and have them stand out. Be strong and courageous. This is no doubt what God really wanted to impress Joshua's mind. Be strong, be courageous. I am equipping you to do what I wanted my people to experience. Later, Joshua, having seen uh, this importance and being convinced that he is to be strong and courageous, speaks this same phrase to the Israelites that he's leading. And then later in the Old Testament, we see God's prophets again speaking these same words, be strong and courageous to the people of Israel. When speaking to the church in Corinth, after having exposed all of the issues in the church and that the church was facing, urging them to faithfully live to the Christian witness that they had been given, Paul concludes this in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Be courageous, be strong. It's an echo of the words that God first spoke to Joshua. Be courageous, be strong. You see, I don't think that the scripture is only talking about courage that it takes to be uh, or when you're in a life or death situation. It's talking about the courage it takes to live a faithful Christian witness when everything in the world is telling you to compromise. When everything in the world is trying to convince you to give in, we are to live courageously as followers of Jesus Christ. Courage has three facets. Three facets, I believe, to courage. Here's the first one. You feel fear, but you choose not to give in. You feel fear, but you choose not to give in. You see, we all feel fear, but not all of us chooses to give in. Many of us choose to shrink and to allow that fear to control us, but many of us don't. We give in to our fears and they become the primary movers of our lives. Fear paralyzes us. We either get stuck or we begin to make poor decisions when we operate out of fear. I can remember as a kid never wanting to go into the basement by myself. So when night would fall... Uh, my family, where we kind of hung out, was on the, the main floor, and then our house had a basement, and I never wanted to go in the basement by myself. How many people have ever had that experience? Yeah, okay, so many of us. Uh, for some, it was going upstairs uh, if you walked in and you had an upstairs in your home. I never wanted to go in the basement by myself, and for some reason, the only way to turn on the light to the stair, well, was at the very bottom. So you had to get all the way to the bottom of the stairs and then flick that light on. And the light from the upstairs would kind of carry into the little landing on the stairs. And I can remember as a, as a little boy, uh, my, my, I have older sisters. They were already out of the house. I was the only one that had a bedroom downstairs. I can remember as a little boy coming down to that, that landing and kind of just standing there and mustering up like the strength 
to make it into the basement. And I would take a big leap and jump down the remainder of the stairs and hopefully flick on the light, sprint around the corner, and charge down the hallway into my bedroom and then slam the door behind me. And that was how I got into my room most nights. (laughs) Full head of steam running down the hallway because I was terrified of going into the basement by myself. Now, obviously this is an irrational fear, but for me, it was real. For me, that fear was real. And I can remember, I I remember that feeling in your stomach as you're on the landing of the stairs, just wondering, man, is there any way I could maybe not go into my room tonight? Like, could I sleep here on the landing, or what could we do? And it was so real that it controlled me. It controlled the way I acted. Now, obviously, many of us don't have this fear of going into our basements now. Maybe some of you do, and that's okay, but... uh, Our fears too often control us. So take a minute. Ask yourself this question. What is it that you fear? If you don't fear going into your basement at night or you don't fear going into the upstairs of your home at night, what is it that you fear? What are those fears that live deep down that control you? Nelson Mandela says this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. You see, we all live with our own fears. The fear of being alone, the fear of not finding a spouse, the fear of being found out, the fear of truly letting God into your life, the fear of mediocrity, the fear of not being loved, the fear of forgiveness, the fear of our own weakness. And these things and all of the other fears that we each represent here are like millstones tied around our neck, slowly dragging us down until ultimately we run out of breath. I'm not sure that we can actually truly live as long as these fears are in control of our lives. You can't truly experience life as Christ wanted it to be as long as fear is controlling your life. The courage we are supposed to live with does not remove those fears, but it allows us to overcome them all together. I once heard it put this way, don't spend time worrying about your fears Spend time trusting that God can overcome and then have the courage to let him. Spend time trusting that God can overcome and then, let, then have the courage to let him. The second facet of courage is this. Perseverance in the midst of adversity. To have courage requires perseverance. The storms will come. Every single one of us here who has lived any amount of time knows that the storms will come. The storm came for Paul, and God didn't necessarily save him from the storm. In fact, the storm destroyed the boat, and Paul had to swim to shore just like the other prisoners. But Paul did not lose his faith. His faith persevered. Perseverance is the ability 
to continue in the right course of action even when you face difficulty. So when the storms come in your life, how do you deal with them? When is your breaking point? When does your perseverance finally run out? Every night, uh, my wife and I, we put, uh, we put our kids to bed right around 7 o'clock. And this is where I see that breaking point happen oftentimes for me. If you're a parent, you may be able to identify this. But this is a battle that we have around 7 p.m. The kids get ready, and we have a very set routine. We, do, uh, we brush teeth, and then we go to the bathroom, and then we read stories, and I tell a story, and then we do prayers. And that's the, that's the flow every single night. But inevitably, the wheels come off at some point during that whole uh, routine that we have. And it's usually somewhere between kids needing more water or kids wanting their blankets re-flattened out or another kiss or coming upstairs to tell us they love us or whatever those things are or the fact that I have to go back downstairs to break up a fight. All three of our boys are in one room. Inevitably, the wheels come off. And there are some nights where my perseverance runs out, where the straw breaks the camel's back, as it were. And it's easy, very easy in those moments after a long day to turn from an easygoing, loving, and tender father to the guy that's standing at the top of the stairs yelling at his kids to go to bed. When that perseverance just finally runs out and I have no more left. And it's easy to forget about my call in that moment because all I want to do is just kind of, frankly, be done with my kids at that moment. I just need an hour. I need two hours. I need whatever. And in a lot of ways, it's easier to give in and shout and resent and be angry than it is to persevere and continue to be a loving and tender and gracious father. Honestly, it's easy just to take the path of least resistance Because I'm sure that I can yell loud enough to where they'll be quiet. Where they won't come up anymore. But that's not the best way to parent. See, I think as a culture, we too often seek those paths of least resistance. What will be easiest? What will ensure the fastest and shortest results? How can I maximize what I want? But this is not always God's way. God desires what is best Always. And what is is best often takes courage to persevere until you can get there. So if I yell as loud as I can, the boys will be quiet. But that's just the easy route. To persevere would mean to continue to be tender and loving and try to teach and train and be present and not just take that easy path. I believe the path of least resistance is often the path that leads to destruction. And yet the narrow path, the one that takes great perseverance, is the one that leads to life. Emerson said, A hero is no braver than an ordinary man, but he is braver for five minutes longer. A hero is no braver than an ordinary man, but he is braver for five minutes longer. And here's what I love about these words, is that there is no difference between an ordinary person and a hero. A hero is simply one that perseveres, that has the courage to persevere. Courage is displayed by Paul throughout his ministry. 
is seen acutely in his willingness as an individual to persevere through all that he had to go through. For everything that he had to deal with, Paul continued to persevere. He had the courage. We are not called to be great, but we are called to persevere when difficulty comes. The third facet, living with conviction, but willing to be moved. Let me explain what I mean by this. There are things in our life that we need to hold fast to. Places where we need to draw lines in the sand. And this is the exact reason that our statement of faith as posted on our website is the Nicene Creed. Because creedal theology to us is deeply held and believed conviction in our community. is something that we are unwavering about. It's the place where we draw theological lines. Things like this. We believe Jesus is Lord. We believe he is the Son of God. We believe he is incarnated and ultimately died and was raised to life to bring restoration and redemption. And we are unwilling to move on these things. And it takes courage to live that way. It takes courage to have those strongly held convictions and say, I will not move on these points. But I think on the other end, it takes courage to admit that you may not know everything. It takes courage to listen to someone else and heed their advice. It takes courage to try new things. It takes courage to be willing to be moved. Paul, standing aboard that ship in the midst of cargo being flung off either side, urges for the need for the sailors to have courage. Gentlemen, Have courage. And it's in that moment that the sailors are convinced that they need to change their course of action. See, they were scrambling to make something happen. The panic had set in. Worry was there. Fear was there. They didn't know what to do. They just started throwing stuff overboard. And Paul says, take courage. And when he speaks that, when he admonishes them in that way, they slow down, they stop, and they say, okay, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to change. This story reminds me a lot of Moses standing with his back against the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army are just coming on, coming down the mountain, coming towards them, coming to the Israelites. All the Israelites are standing there looking at Moses. I imagine this huge scene, you know, thousands, millions, however many people were there, all standing here, the Red Sea behind them. Moses is standing there. It looks like impending death is going to happen. And it's at that moment that the Israelites begin to cry out and say, why did you bring us here, Moses? Why? We would have much rather been enslaved for the rest of our lives than dying right here in the desert. And Moses, in one of what I think is the most powerful statements in all of Scripture, says this, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You see, I think one of the facets of courage is the willingness to admit that you are not always right. It's the willingness to allow yourself to be corrected, to allow yourself to be moved, to allow yourself to be saved. That takes a lot of courage. 
And I think the sailors in that moment, when they're in the boat, display that great courage because they allowed themselves to be moved. They changed their course of action. They stopped operating out of panic and fear, and they listened, and they were willing to be changed. They stayed on the boat, and they trusted Paul. Okay, we're going to be here. We're going to trust you, Paul. You see, when they opened themselves to being moved, then they're essentially saying, okay, maybe we don't know everything. Maybe we were operating out of fear. It's a posture of humility, a posture that I believe we all need to take. Being truly humble takes a lot of courage. When we're unwilling to open ourselves to new experiences and ideas and thoughts, it's because we're trying to protect ourselves. It's a safety mechanism ensuring that we save face, that we look strong. But when we do that, we are no longer courageous. We are weak. And we will never grow if we live with that kind of mentality. We will become stagnant and old and outdated. But when we live with enough courage to be moved and to, to be changed and be saved, then we are able to grow and mature in our understanding of God and our depth of love for Him and for each other. Here is what I believe courage looks like in our context. I'm going to go through a list here. A couple of ways that I could see courage playing out. Courage is choosing to do something not because it benefits you, but because it's the right thing to do. Courage is choosing to love someone even when they don't deserve it. Courage is choosing to live in community with others even when it opens your life to more interruptions. Courage is living with intentionality, not trying to always find the path of least resistance. Courage is being willing to ask questions and admit when you're wrong. Courage is living out the gospel with your words and your actions. Courage is sacrificing something to make something else work. And if I were to make a broad, sweeping statement and admonishment of this community, of the church global, and I would put myself in there, I would say we are not always known for our courage. As Christians, I'm not always sure that we're known for our courage. I don't think people outside of the Christian faith that that aren't here on Sundays, aren't following Jesus, look in from the outside and say, man, that's a courageous group of people. I'm not sure that's the statement that people are making about followers of Jesus. And I make this statement because I think too many of us are controlled by our fears. I make this statement because too often I see people choose that path of least resistance rather than perseverance. And I make the statement because there are some who have lost sight of their convictions while others have held on so tightly that they are no longer able to move. I think it's easy to look at contemporary Christianity, even at New Community, if I were to be so bold, and come to the conclusion that courage is not one of the virtues or characteristics that we are striving for. I think you can make the argument that we are soft theologically, emotionally, and relationally. And that in many ways the church is cowardly in a lot of issues and cowardly in a lot of ways. Now obviously, there are incredible stories and examples of deep, deep courage 
in our community. The 14-month fight that Lisa Lauren just had with cancer is one of those. To courageously fight cancer, trusting God all along the way, in the way that she did, to carry herself in the way that she did was absolutely incredible. Or in the way that her family came around her, or her community came around her for 14 months. That is courage. We have examples of that in our community, and they are beautiful. But for every example on that side, there are 10 examples on this side of people living cowardly, of people living out of fear. God is clear in his instructions to Aaron, be strong and courageous. Paul demonstrated it in his life. He urged others on the boat to live with it. And so we are to be courageous in how we think, in how we love, and in how we act. Would you pray with me?